If you wouldn't turn to Romans chapter 10 is where we're going to start this morning. Romans chapter 10, some familiar verses. And as many of you are aware, we have chosen uh, Friday of this week as a day of prayer and fasting. And we want to encourage everyone to be as involved in that as you possibly can. And we understand that uh, not everyone can do uh, everything all day, but uh, uh, if you are not into the habit or the uh, practice of fasting regularly, just see if you can take one meal, the time that you would spend preparing and uh, eating and cleaning up. And if you stop and really look at that, you, you, get, you can get an extra hour. That's the whole purpose uh, of fasting is to take things that are normally good and right and suspend them for a period of time so that you can spend more time in prayer. And um, we're, we're doing this uh, because this is what the Bible says a church ought to do. And we'll be, I'm going to be preaching about prayer uh, this morning. But I, I want us just to think about this and the theme uh, of our day of fair, prayer and fasting is just really for the spiritual and physical health of our church. Uh, we could take this entire service time and just have people raise their hand about struggles and difficulties they are going through. Many of them are so private that they could not share all of the details in, in a public form. And I'm glad that we serve a God where we don't have to explain everything for Him to work through prayer. Amen? And uh, we, have, we have seen the Lord do some things. When we started having these prayer meetings, this was several... Uh, actually, we've been doing it off and on, but we've started doing it regularly here two or three times a year in the past uh, three years, I would say. And uh, we've seen our attendance go from 80 to over 100 on Sunday mornings. That's an answer to those prayers. Uh, we need to pray about Sunday night and Thursday night. Amen? Amen? Amen. you got to say it or I'm going to keep harping on it until you do. You need more than one service a week for spiritual growth and strength. Eat more than one meal a week, amen? And uh, I need you to pray for me as your pastor. I, I really do. It, it is uh, the, the, just the simple constraints and things that just the regular work that needs to be done plus... We've opened the walls and, the, and all of the construction, and, and that is, I need your prayers. I was joking with some of the preachers at the meeting. I said, yeah, the church is all tore up. And they looked at me, oh, I'm sorry, just the building, not the people, amen? And I uh, said, well, what are you doing? I began to explain to them, and I said, we're praying to be finished by Christmas. We just haven't figured out which one yet. And so, but, but we need your prayers. Brother Shaw and I, praise God, the most uh, serious injury that we've had so far is I hurt my little finger, my middle finger on my right hand, and it's all back to normal now that I've rested it for a whole week. And we'll see if it stays that way, but keep those things in prayer, amen? I mean, there's been two or three times that I can think of right off the top of my head where... If it hadn't been for the prayers of God's people, serious, serious injury could have occurred. Brother Shaw was up on top of the scaffolding before we set it up like this. He only had three boards. He could have easily, and the drill that he was using grabbed in the wall. And he almost fell off. And God protected him. And we just praise the Lord for his protection. We, we need your prayers. I believe God uses those things to fulfill his will. And I, I want us to look in Romans chapter 10. 
And these are some verses that you should know well. If you don't know them well, make yourself familiar with them. Read them over and over again until you get them into your heart and into your soul. Verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... By the way, does that sound like prayer to you? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a lot of prayer in those verses that I just read. Amen? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. If you believe in your heart, it's going to come out your mouth. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. The first point I want us to investigate this morning is prayer is how you get saved. Now be careful. Your prayer doesn't save you. Who does the saving? God does the saving. Amen. God is the one who does the saving. And this is the perfect illustration of how your prayer life ought to work in every situation. It's not your prayers that increase our church attendance or bring God's blessing or God's protection upon us. It is God that does those things. But He wants us to pray. And by the way, if you don't pray, you won't get saved. If you do not call upon the name of the Lord, if you are not willing to stand before a holy God, I praise God, you don't have to stand before me to get saved. You just talk to God. Amen? He's the one that saves you. But don't allow yourself to think for one moment that it's your prayers that save you. It's your prayers that put you in the position that where God can do what He wants to do. Do you see the difference? It may be just slight, but I get so tired of hearing... Uh, stories about people who were great prayers. No. The stories ought to be about people who prayed to a great God. We're not here to worship ourselves or any individual. We're here to worship the God of heaven. Amen? He is the one that works. And yet we've made all these songs and different things. I think even one of the songs on the New Heartland, uh, one of the New Heartland recordings is prayer moves God's hand or something like that. And prayer doesn't move God. Prayer gets us out of the way so God can do what he wanted to do in the first place. God cannot bless you if you're not willing to be obedient to his word. For by grace are ye saved through what? Faith, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to whom? All men. Grace you have. Faith you need. Faith is simply believing God's word. To the point you act on it. How many times have you heard somebody say, Oh, I believe that but they won't do a thing about it. How many times have we been there? I believe that. Yeah, I understand. But we don't stop. We don't change. See, faith that just talks about things is dead. 
Read James chapter 2. We don't have time to go there this morning. The faith that saves is a faith that causes you to be obedient to God's Word. And the Bible says that if you want to be saved today, you've got to use this thing called your mouth and you've got to talk to God. God wants to save every human being that's ever lived. And yet Jesus in his preaching said what? Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. Does anybody remember the next phrase? And few there be that find it. If you'd think to pray for me, I still have my final exam to do. I'm trying to get that done this week in my church history class. And... But it's, it's been a good experience back in the classroom again as a student instead of a teacher, uh, trying to learn, trying to study about history. And that statement that Jesus said is so provable in history. What is one of the great claims of some of the larger, quote-unquote, Christian religions? We can't all be wrong. There's more of us than there are of you. And then what they say? But what did Jesus say? They confirmed the scriptures, and few there be that find it. The only problem is they're on the wrong side. Jesus never said, follow the big crowd and you'll find the truth. He said, follow my word. Obey, that's what faith is, obey the words of God. How simple is it to be saved? Jesus said it's so simple, it's like walking through a door. I am the door. How many of you had some kind of bread for breakfast this morning? Bagel, toast, muffin, something like that. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, Jesus didn't mean he was turned into a piece of bread that we have to eat to get saved. How foolish is that? I've never heard a church said that walk through this door and you can be saved. But that's what Jesus said. He said, I am the door just the same way he said, I am the bread of life. That's the answer to people who tried to tell you you can get salvation by performing ceremonies in a church. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I praise God. I don't have white wool or ears or like a little sheep and go, Bob, I'm still a human being. I didn't have to become a sheep. To have the good shepherd. Amen. Don't you wish we had time just to walk through Psalm 23 again? Maybe we'll do that in the near future. Pray about that. But the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not because of what you've done, but because of what God's done. This is, if you like bigger words, this is the paradigm. This is the pattern for our prayers. This is what our prayer life is all about. We need to pray for some things as a church. But as a church, we have to understand it's not our prayers that gets the job done. It's God that gets the job done. We use this thing called prayer. God has given this to us so that we can have a part in His great work. What's one of the reasons why people complain so much about the Bible salvation? There's nothing for me to do. It's too simple. God did everything. I got to do something. Yes, pray. Amen. Pray. Ask God to save you. He will. How many are glad of that today? Could you say amen? Amen. But let's go to 1 John chapter 1. And uh, I promise you, by God's grace, I'm not going to give you anything new today. Because if I give you something new, it's not Bible. How many of you have this verse memorized? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can we read that verse together or quote it with me? If we confess our sins... He is faithful 
and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of you are thankful that verse is in the Bible? How many of you have used that verse this week? If you haven't, there's a place called an altar here that you can use it as soon as the service is over. Because if you're saved, you need to use this verse every day. Now that doesn't mean that you sit there and, well, I really haven't done anything that bad today. Let me go commit a few sins so I have something to ask God to forget. No. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to make you a little sensitive to the wrong things that you're already doing? Amen. And we don't need to add anything to the list of the wrong things that we've done. But how many times, and you just think about your life, you're saved, you know Jesus Christ has forgiven you for all your sins, you're as sure of heaven as if you were already there, not based on anything that you have done, but what Jesus has done. And then you really mess up. How many people have been there? I mean, you just blow it. You do something that is against God's Word. Now, I'd pray that it wouldn't be committing murder or stealing a car or uh, you ought to know better than that. But listen, we sin every day, do we not? And what's the first thing that happens when you look at yourself and say, what a mess I have made. How in the world could I be as a Christian and do this thing? And what do we do? We walk, how can I even pray? I can't pray to God like this. I can't go to church having done this with this thing on my conscience. That's the devil, my friend. I challenge you, where are you going to take your sin? Aren't you glad there's no confessional booth in a real Bible-believing church? How many are glad about that? You're not near as glad as I am. You know why? Because I'd have to listen to it all. And it's not that I'm not concerned about what's going wrong in your life. That's not it at all. But what it is, is I'm glad that you can take your sins to somebody that can actually do something about it. You know, we talk about this thing of forgiveness and we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And if you haven't been here on Thursday night, you need to go to the website and download the messages and get them. And uh, uh, I believe if you follow the directions, you can actually go uh, onto the iTunes website uh, and hit a button and every... Uh, Monday morning or whatever, when Anita gets the sermons uploaded, it will automatically put them on your iPod or whatever MP3 player you have, and you can get all of the messages and keep them there and listen to them. It's something you ought to do. The, the messages are important. The Sermon on the Mount should be an in-depth study of every Christian. It is the entire teaching of Jesus Christ in three short chapters of how we ought to live. There is no issue that you will ever face in this life that isn't being dealt with in the Sermon on the Mount. That's why we spent 30 uh, lessons and we're just almost halfway through. You say, how many more you got? I don't know. Uh, I was planning on covering a whole lot more than I did last Thursday night. I mean, the Thursday night a week ago. I wanted to get through three or four verses, and we only got through half of one. Uh, so we're going to take our time. But we can't do all that teaching here this morning. How are you going to get right and stay right with God? Guilt is a horrible thing, is it not? There are people that are confined to
through padded cells in mental institutions and on heavy doses of, of psych, uh, uh, psychotropic medication simply because they cannot overcome this thing called guilt. Do you want me to tell you how to take care of guilt? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive our sins. If God's forgiven you, does anything else matter? Let me tell you, it doesn't. You've got to believe God. He's the one that we've offended first with every sin that we've ever sinned. And if we'll go to Him in prayer, we can lay upon Him that burden of guilt and He'll take it away because not only will He forgive us, why is He faithful and just to forgive us? He's faithful because Jesus paid the price of every sin on Calvary's tree. Amen? He's just because once the price is paid, it's not like a Democrat. He can't charge you twice. Amen? It's done. It's finished. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. And what's the last part of that verse say? And to cleanse us. And to cleanse us from most unrighteousness. No. To cleanse us from all. All. Every bit of it. Every sin that you've ever sinned. Jesus will cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we'll just come to Him in prayer. And, and this is a little complex. You have to think about it. But you need to understand why God's given us this thing called prayer. You see, we as human beings live inside this capsule or this dimension called time. Tomorrow is a brand new day. Guess what? I have not sinned tomorrow. Nor can I ever sin tomorrow. Because tomorrow always becomes today when it gets here, doesn't it? I can only sin now. But if I will confess that sin, even though Jesus Christ has already paid for it, He gives me the opportunity to bring my sin to God and turn it over to Him with the guilt and the frustration and the pain and the suffering, knowing that He will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Do you see how prayer works? By the way, it's not your prayer that forgives your sins. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ that paid for your sins. But God has given us this thing called prayer to clean out our brain, to cleanse our hearts, to cast those burdens upon Him. And if you have a problem going back into your past life and praying over and over again for the same things, stop Him, stop, just stop, wait a minute. How many times did Jesus die on the cross? One time. Don't ask God to forgive you for the old sin. Ask God to forgive you for the new sin of going back and digging up the old one. Amen? God separates our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Aren't you glad he didn't say the north from the south? You see, if you travel north, if you left New York City traveling north, you're only going to get somewhere in northern Canada because that's the magnetic north pole and that's where your compass will stop. But should you get out your sextant and compl complicated navigation device, you can move to a place that's called the actual north pole. Just pray that you do it in the winter because if you do it in the summer, you just might find water. Um, the North Pole is a point on the face of the earth to where you move in any direction. You can step one step, 360 degrees, and you'll always be going south when you're on the North Pole. See, north does meet south. 
and it does the same thing at the South Pole. When you get to the South Pole, it doesn't matter what direction you go, you're going north. But there's no such thing as an East or a West Pole. The best illustration I can give you, I hope you don't mind hearing again, it's the best one I got. We get in a space shuttle. They travel at 22 times the speed of sound. When that space shuttle goes up and it's heading east, they have to land it on an airfield so that it can come in from the west because it's still heading east. The space shuttle crosses the United States of America over 3,000 miles in about three minutes. They will circle the earth. And I've forgotten what the circumference of the earth is, but it's, I think it's 22,000 and some odd miles the whole way around the earth at the equator. And they will circle that earth dozens and dozens of times. But if the space shuttle's heading east when it goes up, guess what direction it lands? It's still heading east. Because east never meets west. You see, God knows what he's talking about. You get saved by prayer. Amen? That's how you get saved. You've got to pray and ask God. Your prayer doesn't save you. God saves you. But he's not going to save you unless you call upon him and ask him to save you. Amen? You want forgiveness in your life? You want to keep your life right after you're saved? Guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to confess your sins. And you know what? God's faithful. He's always there. Don't you just love customer service? Do we have anybody here that works for customer service? Uh-oh. How many of you have ever called one of those cell phone companies for customer service? You don't work for a cell phone company, do you? Oh, good, okay. I can rank on them just a little bit. They, they spent hours. I spent three hours on the phone with customer service from AT&T for the last two weeks trying to get them to straighten out a bill. I said, now, wait a minute. You made the mistake. It's your records that are wrong. I want you to straighten out the problem. And they said, oh, we'd love to do that. Just send the phone back. I said, okay, do you have a replacement? No, they're not in stock, but we'll send one to you as soon as we get one. I said, I want to speak to your supervisor. I said, you're telling me you can't give me a refund on this order? Well, we have to take that to the escalation team, and they're going to solve your problem. Well, after three separate escalations, five different conversations, I finally got the name of one of the customer service supervisors. And I, and I said, now, Carissa, you're telling me that... They're going to call me tonight and tell me whether this problem's been solved. Yes, I am. I said, well, if they, don't call you to, if they don't call me tonight, I'm calling you in the morning. She said, fine, please do. I want this problem to be solved. So I called her the next morning. Of course they called me, right? It just didn't show up on the voicemail and it did, the phone never rang, but I'm sure they called. And she said, I was just about to call you. I wanted to tell her, oh, I really believe you. She said, they got the credit put on your bill. I said, thank you. Now I can turn on my phone and I can use it. God's never like that. He's always there. He never puts you on hold unless you Stop talking to him. Amen? And by the way, if God puts you on hold, he doesn't play nice music. Because he wants you to talk to him. 
That's what prayer is all about. Amen? Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. How many of you worried about something this week? Raise your hand if you've worried about something this week. Come on, let's get them up. Be honest, okay? My hand's up. I'm showing you what to do, and I'm also admitting that I worried about things this week. The reason why I ask you that, you see, prayer is how you get saved. Prayer is how you keep your life right. And prayer is what God has given you to take care of worry. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing. That word careful there is talking about worrying. It's talking about fretting. How many of you... uh, I don't know if any of you have been around when we do a Montoro family picture. Uh, But that is a big deal. I mean, just about the time we get everybody in order... And everybody right, one of the boys lays their suit coat down in the laundry pile and gets it covered with lint. Uh, One of the little ones goes out and gets a drink and spills it down the front. Or I mean, something has to happen. I mean, it's human. All the curls go boom. Oh, we got to start over again. I mean, it just, it it can get quite complex. The Bible says... Yeah, and then we have Stephen. He likes to work on making it complex. Uh, The Bible says, be careful for nothing. Now, the world says, don't worry, be happy. Does anybody remember that stupid song? Hey, if the IRS calls you on the phone, worry! Get a lawyer. Hire somebody. Get some help if the IRS calls you on the phone. They're not trying to help you. But let me tell you what you really ought to do. Pray. If you took the energy that you spent worrying about things and turned it into prayer, the world would be a different place. You'd be a different person. Worry will eat you up like a cancer. Now, I mean, there are some things that ought to concern you. They ought to bring if, if you are struggling with sin and you're not getting the victory, don't worry about it. Confess it to God. Amen? If you're here today and you're concerned about your eternal soul, ask God to save you and let Him save you. He'll take care of that. Amen? If you have a family member that is doing things that are going to destroy their life and their future... Don't sit there and fret. And by all means, the worst thing you can do is nag. Use duct tape if you have to. But pray instead of nag. Amen? This is what God's given us prayer for. Am I the only one here that has problems with nervous energy on occasions? That's what Zantac is for. No. That's what prayer is for. You take that nervous energy and get on your knees before God. That's what Friday is all about. It's a day where we're asking our church to come together and pray and fast and talk to God. It says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, that's talking to God, supplication, that word simply means earnest pleading. 
when you're supplicating for God, you ought to break a sweat. You, it ought to be the equivalent of going to the gym. I mean, you ought to be tired when you're done. It is pouring every ounce of energy you have in your heart and your soul. If you've ever prayed for a sick child, you know what supplication means. If you've ever watched a loved one pass from this life to the next, you ought to know what that means. If you're upset about what is going on in our nation and the bills that are being passed by our Congress and the decisions that are being made by judges and the promises that are being made by our elected officials to promote the most evil and vile parts of human society and make them acceptable and glorified. I'm talking about sodomite marriage here. You ought to understand what supplication is. Don't go out and break the law. Be careful with nothing but in everything. With prayer and supplication. How many of you prayed with prayer and supplication on 9-11 or shortly thereafter? Hope you did. You take that energy... And you pour it into prayer. And you won't be buying ulcer medicine. Prayer solves the problem of worry. And again, does your prayers make things happen? No, God makes things happen. But if you'll let God use prayer in your life, He'll keep your body from digesting itself before He does something. Amen? How many people have not lived long enough to see the answer to their prayers because they destroyed themselves through anxiety and stress instead of going to the Lord in prayer? Could we pray? Could we put that energy into prayer? It says, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, now these next two words are really the most important here. With, what's that next word? Thanksgiving. I thought that had to do with turkey and stuffing and cranberry. No, that's an American holiday. If you can't, in the depth of your soul and your trial, understand that God is always good no matter what, you're not going to get your prayers answered. For without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that cometh to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe what? That he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God is good. Period. There's never a time when God is not good. I think of little Josiah Herring. He's in a coma today. I believe that they're working, trying to work things out to lifelight him back from uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, sponsored the family a trip to Disney World, and while they were there, he just went to pick something up, a little four-year-old boy, he just fell over and went into a coma. They found out that the tumor had been bleeding and blocked all of the um, means uh, of... Uh, hydro, uh, uh, the fluid built up in the skull uh, until he literally just passed out. Um, they think that the tumor has invaded the brain stem, and the longer he's in the coma, the greater chance that he'll never wake up. A little four-year-old boy. 
We say, why does God allow that kind of suffering? How can you say God is good with that little boy suffering like that? I don't claim to understand everything. But I've only got two choices, my friend. I've either got to believe this book, that God is good, or I have to close this book and go to the plethora of knowledge that is proposed by mankind. Should I choose the teachings of Buddha? Or maybe I should try to become part of the eternal nothingness of Hinduism. Or maybe I should believe Joseph Smith and somehow this little boy is going to get his own planet with the celestial harem and uh, he can have his own world to be his own god of. Talk about corrupt, crude, and vile. But that's their theology. Of course, he never attained to it because he didn't have enough time to get baptized in the temple and all that stuff. So I'm glad I believe in what this little book says. What this book says. It says if little Joshua dies, he's safe because Jesus paid for every sin, and a little four-year-old boy could never have attained to the understanding and choose sin personally. Therefore, because of Jesus Christ, he's going to go to heaven. Thought about it, all the little pain and suffering that little boy's been through, have the angels taking care of him from now on. Talked to his grandpa, Brother Stalnicker, whom we support. He was on his way to Florida and stopped at the meeting in Oklahoma for just a night. He said the other day his mom came in and found him laying on the bed. She thought he was sleeping. He said, but he was talking to somebody. He said, I just think he's talking to the angels. And maybe. I don't know. But I know that God's going to take care of that little boy through life or through death. He has the power to perform the miracle and make the tumor disappear and let him be perfectly normal. And he has the power to let him pass from this life into the next. But I'll tell you what. I'm going to pray. And I'm still going to be thankful to God. How many of you read ahead to the next verse? Let's go back and make sure you're still there. Philippians chapter 4. And here's what it says. Be careful for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication... Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want to tell you something. You're never going to get to verse 7 unless you go through verse 6. If you don't pray, the only peace you have is one that you manufacture. That doesn't last very long. Let me warn you. But if you want the peace of God that passes all understanding, you just start in verse 6 and be careful about nothing. Stop worrying about it. Stop trying to figure out what you're going to do. And go to God in prayer. And when the burden gets so great that you just cannot control the emotion, you begin supplicating before God. And pour that emotion and all of that pent-up Anxiety in your soul, pour it out before a holy God with thanksgiving and you'll see it disappear. And God's peace will keep you through the darkest of days because prayer works. God doesn't need changing, but you do and I do. And God gives us this thing called prayer. Wow. We're about halfway through the sermon, but we're more than halfway through our time. We'll see what happens. You may get the rest of this next Sunday. Let's, let's go to James chapter 5. And this point really overlaps with the last one. 
The reason we worry so much about things is because we really want to help people. If you want to be a blessing to the Herring family and the Stonecker family, pray for little Josiah Herring, would you? That's the greatest encouragement that you can give them. It's the best thing that you can do. Look what it says here in verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him what? Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And we don't have time to go through this whole thing today. But the simplest understanding of this anointing with oil here is not some physical act. It's not from the, um, uh, the priesthood of the Old Testament necessarily. What it's talking about here is olive oil is one of the best medicines you will find on the face of the earth. Do you know that olive oil will cure ear aches faster than most antibiotics? Clove oil, there's clove oil, there's different kinds of treatments that you can have. Garlic oil is one of the best antibiotics known to mankind. Uh, just make sure you have a lot of breath mints after you use it. But, I mean, there's lots of things out there. It's not wrong to seek medical help. That's what the anointing of oil was. But my faith is not in the doctors. My faith is in prayer in God. Amen? He's the one that holds life. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, not the anointing of oil. That's medical. Let it happen. We don't have time to explain the whole thing, but just take that for what it's worth. And the Lord shall raise him up. If he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. It gives us the story of Elijah. Let us skip down to verse 19. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Let me just tell you something. You see someone that's messing up their life. You need to pray for them. Now, if they're a member of this church and they're doing something, we as a church have to address that because you can't be a member of our church according to the Bible serving God and living in sin. That's part of what the church is supposed to do to help people. If someone claims to be a church member and is living in an immoral relationship, they cannot be a member of our church. Our church has to stop that because they have to know that you can't live in sin and serve God at the same time. That's the problem with the new church that's out there today. It's come as you are and stay as you were. God wants you to come to him just as you are. But he loves you so much, he's not going to let you stay that way. Amen? God doesn't want you to be serving him and serving Marlboro Company at the same time. Amen? He doesn't want you to serve him and be addicted to some type of, uh, of drugs or alcohol. Or God wants to give you victory over those things. Amen? He wants to repair your life and put you together so that your life can praise Him. And God has given us this thing called prayer. If you're sick, I'll tell you what. If I know you're in the hospital, I'm going to do everything I can to come visit you and pray with you in the hospital. But I don't have a GPS tracking device in my phone and I can't follow you to the hospital uh, and know where every church member is at every moment. It's a little more than my little mind can comprehend, but if you'll call me, I'll come and I'll pray with you. If you'll just let us know. You say, I got the answering machine. Leave a message. I had somebody say, every time I call, all I get is the answering machine. Well, here's the trick. How many of you like to have an important conversation and get that ding, ding, ding? Oh, there's a call waiting. Someone else is calling me. Do you mind if I take this? 
I don't want to do that to somebody I'm talking to, so the answering machine kicks on automatically if we're on the phone. Leave a message, we check. If I'm on the phone for a long time, first thing I try to do is check for messages. I'll call you back as soon as I'm able to talk. Listen, I want to pray for you. That's what the Bible says. When you, there are times when you're so sick you can't pray for yourself. But one of the most comforting things that you can have is know that people are praying for you. Amen? It says if sins have been committed, somebody says, I, I'm, I'm worried, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sick because I've done wrong things and, and I've got to make these things right. You know, it, the Bible says, listen, you just trust God and He'll take care of those wrong things. So let's go back. You can confess and God's faithful and just to forgive you. He's not going to take away your salvation. Amen? 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 He wants you to live for Him. You read in the book of 2 Corinthians, and Paul says, helping us through prayer. That's why we pray for our missionaries. Ladies, Thursday night, 7 o'clock, is a special prayer meeting for ladies that our ladies of our church have to pray for our missionaries. It's one of the most, it really is one of the most important times of the week. It starts at 7 o'clock and it's supposed to get done about 25 after, uh, 27 after, try to get finished before the church service starts. But we want to pray for our missionaries. What did Jesus tell the disciples? The man had brought his little boy and they couldn't cast the demon out. And finally Jesus came down off the mountain and, and Jesus cast him out. And they say, why couldn't we do this? He said, this kind goeth forth by nothing, but by prayer and fasting. You want power in your life? You want spiritual victory? You've got to pray. Pray and fast. And by the way, food is not the only thing you can fast. That's why we men are meeting at 11 o'clock Friday night. And we're going to pray till the next morning. The lady said, why, why can't we do that? Well, we have a ladies' prayer meeting from 7 to 9 because a lot of ladies have little children to take care of and different things like that. If you want to go home and Pray all night. Be, be my guest. Uh, but we just, this is the way that we've, we've set this up. We want you to pray. We've got people that are facing sickness in our church. We have people that are facing sin in our church. The passage we just read in James chapter 5. Answer, you pray. Amen. We need help in our ministry. I don't want our church to be satisfied where we are. I want us to reach out further. I, I want to have a reason to go through all of this and cut these walls down and open up the sides. Uh, that means we need to get more people in here. Amen? How are we going to do that? Prayer and fasting. It is a spiritual victory to see a soul saved. How are we going to have that? Prayer and fasting. You want to really help somebody? Pray. Amen? Last point. Let's turn to Luke chapter 6. Verse 12. It says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. Would you mind just moving back one verse? It says, And they were filled with madness and communed one with another that they might, what they might, excuse me, what they might do to Jesus. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer with God. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, how many of you know that verse? Quote it with me. Pray without ceasing. Let's do it one more time. Pray without ceasing. 
Does that mean I should be on my knees with my eyes closed and my hands folded 24 hours a day? Uh, no, you'd starve to death. Praying without ceasing means you're supposed to spend time every day with God in prayer. And let me tell you, what's the easiest thing to skip in your schedule? What's the first thing that gets crowded out? How many times do you settle for saying your prayers instead of praying? How many of you know what the difference is? How many of you have been down on your knees and it was almost like you could feel the very presence of God that He was listening to your prayers and things were happening and you, you knew that you were praying for the things that God wanted you to pray for? And how many times have you just prayed and said, I don't have any more time to pray. I don't even think I said anything that God heard. That's the difference. You don't have to feel good about your prayers for them to be real because it's not your feelings that determine what goes on in your prayer life. But when you really commune with God, you're going to feel it. Amen? Jesus spent all night in prayer. Why did he do that? Well, you read the verse before, and there were a bunch of people trying to destroy Jesus. They weren't kidding around. These were the same people three years later that were going to finally get their way and think that they did it when they put Jesus on the cross. But did they put Jesus on the cross? No, Jesus allowed himself to be put on the cross. Amen. He willingly laid down his life. But Jesus didn't defend himself. He didn't go to the rabbinical council and accuse them of heresy, which they were practicing right now. Plotting murder is, was a capital offense in the Old Testament law. Thou shalt not kill. And yet, what were they doing? They were trying to figure a way to murder him. Guess what? Jesus just spent time talking to God. You ever feel persecuted by the world in which you live? Pray. That's the answer. Jesus picked the 12 apostles the next day. One of them was Judas. He prayed. You know what? Judas couldn't mess up. He was key to the fulfillment of the word of God. But let me help you understand something. Don't listen to the Calvinist. God didn't write the script before we were born. God can see in the heart and he knew that Judas would choose himself that role. He was the man, the son of perdition. How many of you have major decisions that you have to make? Please don't just sit down and try to figure those out on your own. Pray. God will give you the answers. He will give you the direction. I can't tell you how many times I've heard over the years. Oh, Pastor, you don't, you don't know this, this job. I mean, I'm not going to be in church as much as I should be, but, but once I get there a few years, they promise me Sundays off, and, and I've tried to say, listen, it's going to be 25 years before you're going to get Sundays off. You're never going to get Sundays off. You're never going to be able to attend church the way you are if you choose this kind of work. Yet they choose that kind of work, and it isn't too long before you never see them again. Why? You're making a decision against the Word of God. You don't have to pray about that. You just got to obey the Bible. Amen? Don't waste your time praying about things that God already told you what He wanted in the Bible. Can we say amen to that? But if you want to commune with God, here's the answer. Pray. I wish we had time this morning. Old Testament tabernacle. The closest you can get to God is the golden altar of incense, which is a picture of your prayers. Every part of that altar is a reflection of what our relationship with prayer ought to be toward God. Let me just bring out this point, and then we'll be done. 
the fire on the golden altar of incense came from the brazen altar in the courtyard. The brazen altar is a picture of the death of self. It is the total submission of my will, my hopes, my ambitions to a holy God. It was the embers, it was the burning coals off the brazen altar that were brought into the tabernacle and laid upon that golden altar and the incense was then sprinkled on it. If you're going to get saved, you have to surrender everything you are to God in prayer and ask Him to save you. Amen? Every time we go to Him and ask Him to forgive us of our sins, what are we doing? We're humbling ourselves and we're saying, I can't do anything about this, but God, I'm asking you to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, to forgive my sins, and you ought to name them. You ought to tell God what you did wrong. He knows, but He's given us this thing called prayer to put us through a cleansing process so that we can find forgiveness and relief from guilt and all of these things Prayer is how you stop worrying. Is that not the surrender of yourself and trying to sol stop solving the problem yourself? Maybe I have one of our artists in the church come up with a little poster. You can't do anything about it. Pray. So often we give every ounce of energy we have trying to stop something. And all we do is make it happen. Whereas if we would pray, we could see God do what's right. Amen? You want to help somebody? Pray. You see somebody struggling with sin? What do you do? Pray. You have, we have the little uh, herring uh, baby, the little four-year-old boy. Let me tell you. Uh, my heart goes out. I just, I tried to think what would, what would I do if that were one of my little children that were like that? I mean, my heart would be broken. But what I want to do is I want to pray. Amen? I want to pray for them. I want them to know that I'm praying for them. Not because I'm a great prayer, but because I'm praying to a great God. And that gives us confidence that no matter what happens, if God chooses to send the angels down and pick up that little boy and take him to heaven, we can be thankful and trust in God's goodness. Knowing that so many people prayed, we can just trust God with what he chose. That it was his decision, not ours. Communion with God. You want to get close to God? How many books have been written on how to get close to God? Oh, my goodness. By God's grace, we're not going to have one of them in the Christian bookstore. Because they're not going to help you. You want to get close to God? Come to prayer meeting on Sunday night. Pray. You want to get close to God? Learn how to pray. That's how you're going to commune with God. This is not a church that's designed to excite and tantalize your emotions and try to make you think that you've had some type of experience with God. There are churches like that. The whole thing is built on emotional excitement. We purposely work hard on that. Because if you make a decision just because you're emotionally moved, guess what? Your emotions change so fast. But God doesn't. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What about it? When we pray, are you saved? If you're not saved, will you take today and get saved? I, I, I beg you. I plead with you. If you're saved, are there things in your life that aren't right with God? I beg you. Take some time and pray and ask God to make those things right. When I ask how many of you worried this week, almost every hand went up. And the ones that didn't probably should have. How are you going to solve that problem? 
Well, I went to the doctor and I got a prescription. No. Pray. You want to help somebody? Don't nag them. Pray. You want to be close to God? You want to feel his presence? Pray. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We just simply ask that you would work in each heart and each life today. Lord, that you would help our church want to pray. Lord, we just plead with you today that we could see past ourselves and past our sin and past our abilities and past everything that has to do with us and that we would look only unto Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that are unsaved, that today would be the day that they would pray and trust Jesus as their Savior. Lord, there are people here struggling with sin and disobedience in their life. My prayer is that they would pray and come to you and confess these sins and see you forgive them and and that they would just simply believe and understand your forgiveness and your cleansing. That we would use prayer to combat worry. That we would use prayer to be a help to others. And Lord, that we would see communion with you through prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's